We have the blessing of our scripture being read today by someone who was not too long ago standing up here with their family. Uh, It's Reagan Gray. She is here somewhere, and she's going to read our scripture for us this morning, and then Pastor Steve will come and deliver the word. This is the word of the Lord. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. Amen. I have been waiting for that all week long. I saw that Reagan was going to read that passage, and I thought, how awesome is the embodiment of love and light and excitement and joy. How awesome is that to see her read about blood and vengeance? And I was so looking forward to it, and you nailed it. I loved every second of it. Well, uh, good morning, church. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. I forgot to introduce myself in the nine o'clock service, and someone uh, mentioned to Pastor Jason, uh, hey, that guy was uh, pretty good. Um, I've never seen him before. (laughs) Probably because I shaved some of the beard and maybe combed the hair. I don't know what it is. but So I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the pleasure of continuing this joyous... um, season of Advent that we've been um, looking at every passage and they've all been so happy uh, and joyous, each one. How long are we going to deal with our own sin? How long are we going to deal with societal injustice? How long is the church going to continue to be messed up? And so in continuing in that joyous vein, uh, we're going to do the Christmas message from Revelation chapter number six, which brings us the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So seriously, though, we are going to enjoy ourselves today, and hopefully you're going to leave here today uh, with some hope, um, not in yourselves or not in any kind of um, vapid understanding, but knowing that uh, Christ is, in fact, uh, taking care of business. So we've looked at those things over the past few weeks. We're going to look today kind of on the cosmic scale, on a bigger, grander scheme of things about... Uh, This question, how long until Jesus uh, comes again? How long until Jesus comes again? And so I'm going to give you the spoiler right off the bat. I'm going to answer the question because I know how long until Jesus comes again. I know the answer. So I'm going to give it to you. The answer is nobody knows. He said, Jesus said about himself, no man knows the day and the hour when the apostles asked him about when the end of the age was coming. And Peter wrote in his letters that uh, when Jesus returns, it will come like a thief in the night. Uh, The imagery there, of course, is that you don't know when a thief is coming. If you did, you would be totally prepared for that thief, right? And so that's the imagery there. And so as we're thinking about um, Christmas and how long until Jesus returns, remember there was a time when they were asking how long until the Messiah comes, And of course, we can look back and know that he did come. But as we're thinking about those things, we need to remember that as we celebrate Christmas, which is going to happen on Friday, some of you need to hear that. It's happening on Friday. 
Um, so right afterwards, I understand that Walmart, Target, and all of the stuff is still open, and you can run down there and get those last-minute uh, gifts and things. But that's coming really quickly. As we think about those and thinking about the gifts and the purchasing and the tree and the snowmen and all of that, and how that's how the society views this Christmas time, we know and we understand that when we celebrate Christmas, and when we think back about the birth of Christ, we need to remember that the God of the universe decided to take on flesh and was born as a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, took our sin to the cross, died on that cross, was buried, but he didn't stay there. He rose again, and because he lives, the songwriter wrote, I can face tomorrow. And so that's what Christmas is really all about, is the fact that there is redemption because our king has been born. And that's exciting to me. So this morning we're going to talk about how we can look at how long until Jesus comes again. So I want to read the passage to you again. Everything that we were talking about this morning, the launching point for all of those thought processes came directly from these three verses. So I want to read them to you again. Then we're going to pray and then we'll talk about what uh, God has said here. Here's what the scripture says. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. And they cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to open your word and study it. And Lord, as we do so in your name, Father, we pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds and help us to focus our attention on you. Change us, Lord, and draw us closer to you and make us more like you. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I read this passage of Scripture, and I, there's some things in here that we can learn about heaven, and smarter people than I wrote lots of books about it and so forth, but one of the things that I see here is that these folks were given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little bit longer. And that concept of the white robe, as we look through Scripture, it's an indication that they have been redeemed. The other thing that we can see is, is that they're, as they're here in heaven under this altar, that they have an audience directly with the Father and can go to him boldly, which is also an indication that they are redeemed. Hebrews tells us that because we have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us and we can go boldly before the throne of God. And so when we see these folks standing here, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to wait until you avenge us, what we see here is that these people are redeemed. Now that made me think about something. That made me think about the Christmas season and the fact that the Christmas season is all about redemption. And redemption is all about me. Oh wait, it's not. Redemption's not about me. And I hate to tell you this, it's not really about you either. It's about all of us. Because what God wants is he wants and has from the very beginning, he wants to hang out with us. Can I say it that way? 
This is the 11 o'clock service. I know that you've unbuttoned your collar and it got a little rowdier. Yeah, God wants to hang out with us, right? And that's the story of redemption. But it's also bigger than that. All of creation has to be redeemed. All of creation has to be redeemed. And there's some really cool stuff out there. You guys should jump on the NASA website every once in a while. Check those pictures out, man. God is a beautiful artist, man. That guy can really put some stuff together. Can I say it that way? I don't know. I just did. Here's what I want you to understand. The story of redemption is a long game and it's bigger than you and me. But even from the very beginning, during the passing of judgment, God is telling us that he is going to make a way that we can get back together with him. So I'm going to read for you a couple of passages of scripture. This one comes from Genesis chapter 3. And just to set the story for you in case you've forgotten, God told Adam and Eve, hey, you can, uh, basically, you got to run of the whole joint. Just don't eat of this one tree. This is the one place that you can't go. You can't eat of this tree. And of course, that's exactly what they did, Right? And so because of Adam's sin, God is there now and he's passing on judgment. And one of the things that I love is in the first case of of humanity showing exactly what we're going to do, God comes to Adam and he says to Adam, Adam, what happened, man? I told you this one tree, what did you do? you You messed up. And he said, oh, that woman you gave me. And so God says, okay. And he goes to the woman and he says, uh, Eve, uh, what happened? What happened? And she said, well, that serpent. And then God goes to the serpent and he says, hey, what happened? And the serpent's like, ah. Okay, it was me. I jumped. I did it. He owned up to it. During the passing of judgment, this is the setting of the passage that I'm going to give you. During the passing of judgment, we get the first messianic prophecy. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 14 and 15, here's what the Bible says. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That imagery there, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel, is that first image, that first understanding, that first promise that there is someone coming that's going to make all things right. And when he does so, he says, you, speaking to the serpent, will strike his heel. And that speaks to the crucifixion and the death. But then the other side says he will strike your head and that speaks to the fact that in Christ's death he is victorious over death and hell and the grave. And that is hopeful to me. So during the passing of judgment on mankind God tells us that he's going to make a way. From the very beginning God tells us this is I'm going to make this right. Secondly, and I mentioned this before, all creation waits for the second advent. When we talk about Christmas and we talk about the birth of Christ, that's the first advent, right? That's the first time that Jesus took on flesh and came to the earth and dwelt among us, as uh, the Gospel of John tells us. 
The second advent is when he comes again as a victorious king coming on a white horse, all of the cool stuff that we really want to see. And if you want to see all that imagery, you can read through the book of Revelation. There's all kinds of cool stuff. He's got a tattoo on his thigh. He's got a sword. There's all kinds of great. You know that Jesus had a tattoo, right? Uh-oh, look out. Everybody's going to go home and read it now. Wait a minute, does he? Okay. The second advent, though, all of creation awaits for that second advent. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He said this. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's Son to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And so when I read that and I, and I think about the earth, it says, or all of creation groaning together in labor pains until now. And I think about the fact that it, was, it reminds me of a, a, what Jesus said. You remember when he comes into um, Jerusalem in the triumphal entry? Right, just before his uh, uh, crucifixion, and and I don't I don't mean to make light of our our current situation. You're all sitting here in masks, and the whole world is in upheaval outside these doors. But this passage that I'm about to tell you about really came to my mind when our governor asked us not to sing in public. And I remember this passage when Jesus is coming into. Uh, into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry and the crowd is crying out Hosanna and they're laying the palm fronds and the Sanhedrin and the folks there tell him, Jesus, you need to stop them. Don't you understand what they're saying? And do you remember what he said? He said, if I stopped them, the very rocks that you're standing on would cry out Hosanna to my name. And we were talking in between services about the fact that, you know, stars make noise. And there's some website somewhere you can look it up. I saw it one time. It's out there. And if it's on the internet, you know it has to be true. And somebody has pointed a a microphone or whatever that thing is at these stars, at different stars, and collected those sounds and put them together and either sped them up or slowed them down. And they make this gorgeous melody. Right? And it's this idea, this thought process that... Um, all of creation joins us in the groanings and the moanings for how long, O oh Lord, until you return? How long, O oh Lord? And, I, and I, boy, if, if we shut our mouths for whatever reason, God will be glorified. And even the creation will do so. And I want you to understand that All of the things that are beautiful that you love about this earth, and even I told you to go and look at the website and see all the pictures of the different galaxies and solar systems and nebula and all of that stuff. All of that, you remember, has been touched by sin. And when Jesus comes again and makes all things right, think about how beautiful things are really going to be then. 
once he puts it just like he wanted it in the beginning and it's no longer touched by sin. Boy, isn't God good? Isn't God good? All right, the second thing I see in the passage. These folks cry out and this is what they say. Verse number 10, Lord, the only one who is holy and true. How long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? Here's what I think about that. When they cried out to God, they called him the one who is holy and true. You know what you're not? You know what I'm not? Holy and true. We are broken and sinful. But God is holy and true. And because of Christ, they and we can go into his presence. But we need to understand God's nature correctly. And if we do so, it will give us hope. Because he is holy and true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's telling us there that he is truth. You know what's awesome about truth? It's not a lie. You know what's awful about lies? They're lies. Anytime you have to lie to somebody, how many of you have ever lied to somebody? Okay, listen, half of y'all didn't raise your hands, and that was at least your first lie. You got to remember all of that stuff, right? You got to try to remember all those lies. You got to try to remember all of those things. You gotta, it's, it's a big mess. It creates problems. It creates hassles. It creates trouble. You know what? God cannot lie because it would go against his nature because he is truth. Now, the reason I'm pointing out this to you, pointing this out to you, I'll get it. The reason I'm pointing this out to you is because it is vastly important for us to understand that if God cannot lie, that means that if he said something, that it is going to happen. And I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort. Here's what Matthew wrote in his gospel, telling us the story of the birth of Jesus. He writes this, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now Matthew's talking about the birth of Christ that we all celebrate here at Christmas time, but he also did not come up with those words. He's quoting Micah, the prophet from the Old Testament, who wrote those words, or similar to it, 400 plus years prior to Jesus coming. And this is what Micah wrote. Bethlehem. Ephrathah, or Ephrata, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origins, his origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. And so here's what you need to understand. The first advent, Jesus being born of a virgin in that little manger in that backwater town 2,000 plus years ago was foretold not only 400 years ago, but 400 years prior to that by Micah, but all the way back to Genesis chapter number three by God himself foretold that Jesus would come 
in that first one. So when Jesus, remember when God says something, you know that it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. He said it and it happens. Here's what I want you to understand about that. Because we understand that the first advent was foretold and it happened, we look back on that one. The second advent was also foretold and so we can be assured that it will happen. Second Peter. This is what Peter writes in his letters. But based on his promise, whose promise? God's promise. Based on his promise, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Here's the deal, man. I can't I get so excited I may jump down and run around. Listen. Jesus Christ, I've said this before already in this sermon, I'm going to say it 15 more times, took on flesh and dwelt among us, lived a perfect sinless life, carried my sin, your sin, our sin to the cross, nailed it up there, was buried, resurrected from the grave, and he lives today ever interceding for us so that we can make it through the day and ultimately he will return to this earth and he will take us with him. Because he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. God is truth. He said it, it's going to happen. That brings me a lot of great comfort. I feel like I broke my microphone right there. Something's happening back here. I think I did. Yep, something came off of it. Hey, you know, you can't let, this is what happens. It's the 11 o'clock, it's the rowdy service. Woo! You know, that's what happens. Listen, I don't even know where I'm at anymore. God's going to do it. He said he was going to do it. God's going to do it. And you can put that in the bank. And no matter what happens, I mean, this world is in total chaos right now. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week. Who's the president anyway? I don't even know. You don't know. Nobody knows. But here's the one thing that I do know is that Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And no matter what happens, he rules and he reigns. And when he says he's going to do something... That's exactly what he's going to do. The next thing I see in here in this passage, verse number 11. So they were each given the white robe, and they were told, rest a little while longer. Rest a little while longer. And this reminds me of the fact that the love of Jesus gives us peace to rest and wait just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. As I was thinking about that, I thought about my uh, Baptist upbringing, uh, which I say that proudly. I don't, I didn't, that kind of came off like, oh, as a Baptist. <laughs> I say that proudly because the, the group, the Baptists that I grew up with were strong on this. If it ain't in this, It ain't worth talking about. One of the things, one of the songs that we sang when I was a kid in children's ministry, in children's church, I don't even remember the whole song. I just remember this one line because it always cracked me up. 
it was this. It said, the belief of the Baptist, I have in me the belief of the Baptist that baffles the Buddhist. Now, the point of the statement is not that the Baptists have it all nailed down, although I'm sure that there's some indoctrination in that song somewhere. (laughs) The point of that is, is that when you have Christ inside of you, that no matter what goes on outside of you, you can be at peace. And that confuses folks that do not have Christ inside of them. And so, unlike everybody else who has spent this whole year, hopefully, you have not spent the whole year in worry, wringing of your hands, fretting, staying awake at night, oh, what's going to happen now? Oh, what's going to happen now? Oh, what's going to happen now? Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but again, I know that my Jesus sits on the throne. And that brings me peace. So it also reminds me though that the love of Jesus reminds me about this, that we need to put on love. We need to put on love. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Above all, he said, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. One of the weird things that happens uh, in December in our world is that for some reason, the whole world just decides December will be a great month. We'll just be kind to one another. We'll be nice. We'll give money to charities. We'll go buy gifts for other people. This will be great. And they don't even understand why. They think it's because of uh, St. Nicholas, um, and I didn't mention this in the first service, but I'll mention it now, um, who punched a heretic, by the way. Just telling you. When, it, when anybody says, this is free of charge, I'm about to say right now. Write this down. When anybody says, what would Jesus do? Remember, turning over tables and chasing people with a whip and a chain is not out of the question. <laughs> yes, this is a true thing. But the love of Jesus, remember, the love of Jesus is what we're talking about. And we need to put that on. I shall whip thee, uh, smite thee hip and thigh for the love of God. Okay. The love of Jesus is what we're talking about. We're going to put on love, which means that we don't just do it in December. We do it all year long. And that's, we've got to love. Jesus said that you will be known because of the love that you have for one another. So it starts right here in this room. And then the love that we share one another in this room spreads out into the world. And they get to see that we serve a loving God that loved them, us, so much that he gave himself for us and died on the cross for us. That's the kind of love that we need to put on as we remember these things. And in doing so, it'll help us to wait just a little while longer. The other thing is the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving... Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts. Notice 
uh, in both of those verses that I read to you, Paul encourages both of them as they, uh, both groups, uh, as they pray and talk to God. Uh, at the end of both of those things, he says, be thankful. Be thankful. Part of that putting on love and helping us to wait a little while longer is thankfulness. That peace that passes all understanding. How can we share that? How can we show that? How can we know it's because Jesus first loved us? So now I'm going to leave you with the big picture. I always like to give you the big picture. Something that you can take away, that you can spend the rest of your day pontificating on because I know that you have paid that much attention. You're like, I'm going to think about this all day long. Here's the big picture. The big picture is this. There's three things. Number one, our hope is in Jesus. If you don't hear me say anything today, if you don't, I mean, I'm a circus clown. If you don't hear me say anything, hear this. Our hope is in Jesus. There is nothing that I can do to change anything at all. There's no sense in me worrying about it because Jesus has got it in his hands. And that's where my hope rests. Secondly, I want you to understand that when Jesus came uh, as a baby, that he came to redeem us. And so I'm going to tell you one more time that he took on flesh and dwelt among us, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, carried our sins to the cross, died that death, was buried in that tomb, and came out of it on his own two feet so that we might live forever with him. That's the reason he came, to redeem us. And finally, I want you to remember, because he said he would, he will return for us. He will return for us. Here in just a few moments, Kyle, Pastor Kyle is going to come up and he's going to lead us to the Lord's table. And as we think about the elements and as we think about this concept of taking the Lord's Supper together, remember that we are remembering what he has done for us. Remember Because he said he would do it, he will do it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. We thank you for taking on our sin. We thank you for everything that you do for us. We thank you for the peace that you give us, knowing that no matter what happens, that you're still in control and that you will make all things right. And Father, we ask now as we continue worshiping you that you would bring us closer to you and make us more like you. And we say these things in Jesus' name, amen.